Chapter Seven of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The idea that all good things come from the unseen beneficence we call God has been slow in making its way in the world. Like all ultimate truth, it is too large to be seen in its entirety, too far-reaching to be appreciated by beings engrossed in the small affairs of daily living. So, although Miss Malvina Bennett had caught more than an occasional gleam of the universal effulgence, she was none the less perturbed when a vigorous shaking of a lank flour-bag failed to dislodge more than a scant cupful. "'Can't set no bread to-day,' she muttered. "'And Ma hates store-bread like poison.' A like thorough and drastic investigation revealed the emptiness of the various showy packages ranged along her pantry shelves. "'Well, I declare,' muttered Miss Malvina, "'I ain't never been so put to it since I begun to sew for a living. I don't wonder Ma's fractious. She needs a good meal of warm victuals to enliven her up, and there ain't a bean of coffee neither.' Hastily she reviewed the meagre list of her possible resources. Their solitary hen, when inspected, ruffled her feathers sulkily. The light rime of snow on the ground outside had evidently furnished no incentive to lay. "'You need company,' said Miss Malvina sympathisingly. "'I'm a-going to let you set just as soon as I can afford a dozen real eggs. Then maybe we'll have some nice young pullets come fall, and maybe a real handsome rooster crow in the mornings. With this vague promise, she scattered a sparse handful of corn and retreated toward the house. There's just three things I can do, she reflected, as she swept the snow from her front steps, oblivious to the magical splendour of the budding maples laden with pearl and ermine, through which the sun was darting jealous arrows. I can go down to the store and risk having Obed Salter tell me he won't trust me no more. Or I can go to the parsonage, and ask the minister right out for the money on Philura's wrapper. But I will say I'd hate to do that. Maybe he wouldn't be up yet, and what on earth would he think of me traipsing into his house before breakfast, with Philura in bed and all? I suppose I could take that there robe back to Miss Hobbs. It's all done as well as I can make out with it. Don't fall to pieces first thing, anyhow. I suppose she'll find out who I be sooner or later, and other folks will too. But I ain't going to let Ma starve not as long as I can hold a needle. She was on the point of retreating indoors when the sight of a slim figure speeding along the magical vista arrested her on the threshold. Bon matin, Miss Malvina, cried a fresh young voice. What happiness to see all this beauty! It is most spirituel, like what you call heaven, n'est-ce pas? How's your pa feeling this morning? inquired Miss Malvina. I thought I'd just step in to inquire after breakfast and see if there wasn't something I could do. The little dressmaker drew the black and white plaid shawl closer under her chin and stood smiling down at the girl. She could see her very distinctly, even without her far-seeing glasses, in the clear white light of the morning and she was thinking vaguely that the vivid face upturned to hers was like no other face she had ever seen. Merci one thousand, chère Miss Malvina. Mon papa is quite recovered after sleep. I have made already le déjeuner. Also, I find the shop. See, 
I bring compliments of my papa to madame votre mère. We don't keep a horse, said Miss Malvina, shaking her head. The girl was eagerly extending a basket. No, I not understand. But for your déjeuner, oui? Oh, I'm afraid I don't catch on to your kind of talk. You ought to learn English. You want I should take this here basket? The girl smiled and nodded, with a glint of white teeth between red lips. Then she consulted a small book dangling from her belt. See, at all times I study l'anglais. I tell you very quick. Uh, compliment, the same, of mon père, my father, to votre mère, your mother. Voilà. Uh, you have it, n'est-ce pas? Goodbye. You come again quick. Oh, for land's sake, ejaculated Miss Malvina, as she investigated the contents of the basket in the privacy of her kitchen. Them folks are going to be real good neighbors. I can see that already. I only fetched em over two eggs last night, and here's six, and as much as a pound of butter, and goodness knows what all in these here jars. Over a slim bottle of suspicious aspect and many-worded foreign labels, Miss Malvina shook her head. Hmm, I'm afraid it's some sort of intoxicating liquor, she said, sniffing gingerly at the seal. Maybe I'd better take it back and tell em first thing that Mar and me belongs to the WCTU. In the end, she decided to stow the bottle out of sight in the gloomy recesses of the upper pantry shelf. Twon't do no harm up there, she told herself strongly, but you wouldn't catch me giving it to Mar, even if she was at death's door. Half an hour later, Miss Malvina, her best frizzed front inherited from her grandmother, pinned firmly over her white curls, and her small figure enveloped in a stiffly starched gingham apron, stood knocking at Philura Rice's back door. She still thought of the erstwhile vacant house as belonging to the wife of the minister, as did everyone. Miss Philura Rice had married the Reverend Silas Pettibone three years before, to the amazement, not to say consternation, of the village of Innisfield, which had long since relegated the modest little lady to the limbo of protracted maidenhood. My, cogitated Miss Malvina to herself, how many, many times I run in here to borrow a spoon of baking powder or like that off Philura, and when Genevieve and Gregory lived here too. But the house wasn't big enough for them after twins was born, and of course Miss Mortimer Van Duser wanted em in Boston, where she could see em every day. I never seen a woman meller up the way she done after those babies. She paused to once more apply her knuckles in a brisk rat-tat on the closed door. Like enough they're making such a racket moving furniture they can't hear me, she told herself. I can see one thing. There ain't been a rag laid to them windows, and it's all a body can do to see through em what with dust and cobwebs. Then all at once... She became aware of the approach of slippered feet within. The door was opened on a cautious crack, and a bearded face looked out. It was the man she had seen the night before. Miss Malvina blushed like a girl as she recalled the touch of his lips on her rough little fingers. But it seemed suddenly impossible to explain her presence on the back doorsteps. For an instant she meditated flight. "'Ah, good morning,' said the man. You wish to enter? 
Miss Bennett brightened. I just run over to help round a spell, she said eagerly. I guess you was most too sick last night to take notice of who was doing for you. It was real kind to send them things over to Ma. She ate a real good meal of victuals for the first time and I don't know when. It done her good. Different things, you know, and like that. The man opened the door wide and with a courteous gesture bade the little dressmaker enter. He was smiling and his eyes, very clear and dark, again swept the small figure. Oh, you have the wish to see my daughter, n'est-ce pas? Uh, she has gone out in search of an ouvrière. For the moment I cannot perceive the word. Of a possibility you can inform me. You can search me, said Miss Malvina. Why under the sun didn't she wait till I come over? Maybe I could have made out what it was she wanted. I have lived here since I was knee-eyed to a grasshopper. The man had bent his head with grave attention. Your language, he said, is most engaging. Never do I weary of its study. But naturellement, I speak more readily than I can comprehend. You will pardon me, I have hope. Sure I will, said Miss Malvina with dignity. Tain't really your fault, you're foreign. And I think you speak quite nice. <laughs> I see your windows ain't been cleaned. Suppose I whirl in and wash em for you. I fetch some cleaning cloths along. As I says to Ma, they won't have none, tain't likely. Ah, an ouvrière? But surely I am mistaken. Do you not live in the adjoining house? Oh, certainly I do. Me and Ma Bennett. I'm a dressmaker betrayed, and generally I don't have time to clean my own windows. But this spring I ain't so busy as usual, so I got time to burn. Time to burn. <laughs> he smilingly shook his head. I am very academic, I fear, but I shall perhaps improve. In the interval, you will obligingly excuse? Guess oh, I'll have to, <laughs> chirruped Miss Malvina. And I won't say I don't find it kind of enjoyable, your being foreign and, so to say, different from folks around here. Never had Miss Malvina felt more dignified and at ease. The man's gentle air of deference, his grave attention to everything she said, had somehow soothed her wounded pride. Her faded eyes sparkled. She even raised a careful hand to Grandmother Bennett's legacy. It was composed of tightly frizzed and very black hair mounted on a net foundation, and it concealed very completely the feathery snow-white hair beneath. Miss Malvina had blanched early, but with the aid of the artificial front, designed for a larger head than her own, it had been possible to keep the knowledge of the fact from the general public. She was glad she had worn it this morning instead of her everyday one, which had faded with the years to a singular greenish tint. Let me see, she went on. I had a regular introduction to you last night, but what with your being so upset, if not really delirious, and me flying around like hen with her head cut off trying to get some supper so you'd eat a bite, I clean forgot what it was. <laughs> her new neighbour shook his head regretfully. Again I accomplish my ignorance, he said. You will repeat, in words more simple, is it not? I forgot your name, said Miss Malvina. 
Mine's Miss Malvina Bennett. Ah, Miss Malvina Bennett. But I hastily make my introduction. My name, it is De Say, Etienne De Say, and very much at your service, Miss Malvina. You possess the good heart. My land, I ain't done nothing to speak of, protested the little dressmaker. Here comes Madeline now. I bet I can find out what she's been after before you can spell Jack Robinson. Madeline, colourful as a flower, ran up to Miss Malvina with a little cry of pleasure, and stooping her slim young body, touched first one faded cheek and then the other with her warm red lips. "'Gracious me!' exclaimed the astonished recipient of these favours. "'I don't know when anybody's kissed me before since I was knee-eye to a grasshopper. "'You two certainly do beat the Dutch. "'You ain't no more like Innisfield folks than the moon's like green cheese. "'Now, Madeline, I think I got that right. "'I want you should tell me what you've been looking for, and then we'll get to work. "'I certainly do enjoy gassing as well as the next one.' but plight conversation don't saw no wood the process by which miss malvina was led to understand the significance of the word ouvrière was a tortuous one and involved the use of french and english lexicons as well as a search through the popular phrase book that madeline carried at her belt what a ridiculous name for a washwoman she exclaimed when at last light broke upon her bewildered mind oh, but i can tell you they're scarcer than Anne's teeth this spring. Let me see. Miss Wessels is at the parsonage and'll likely stay there for a spell on account of Mrs. Reverend Pettibone's baby. You'll get to know her real well once she gets round again. She owns this here house, and she's the greatest little woman. She can tell you all about how to get anything you want out of the surrounding atmosphere. She got her husband that way, and all the best clothes. But I dunno, I ain't had so much luck myself. Oh. Now I guess we'll tackle this here kitchen first off, and if your pa can make out to do a little unpacking, we'll soon have things ship shape. And even if I can't make out all you say, actions certainly do speak louder than words, and I guess you'll find I ain't afraid to whirl in and work if I ain't a regular what you'll em call em going out by the day. By noon, shining windows, clean paint, and vigorously scrubbed floors attested the genuineness of Miss Malvina's professions, while the new proprietors of Miss Philura's abandoned dwelling showed themselves equally expeditious and resourceful. Indeed, Miss Bennett, in one of her flying trips across the yard in quest of a fresh supply of window rags, reported to Ma progress of an astonishing character. "'They ain't got such an awful lot of stuff,' she said. But I bet you'll be surprised to see their parlour. Don't look a speck like any other room in town. First thing Mr. Dessay done was to fix a lot of books on shelves, and she whips up some handsome lace curtains to the windows before I could get them good and polished. They got pictures, too, and queer kinds of vases and like that, and rugs. You ought to see them rugs, thick as a board and all colours, kind of mixy i thought i'd rather lay down a good red and black ingrain myself with a layer of straw in under it to keep the wind off of your feet but being foreign i suppose they don't know no better 
they even hung up some of them rugs on the walls oh i had to laugh late that afternoon the little dressmaker stood looking about her at the rooms so swiftly transformed from dreary emptiness to snug comfort albeit of a singular and foreign sort hitherto unknown in innisfield well twas lucky for you folks i once a drove in my shop as usual she said complacently and i will say it looks real nice upstairs and down not that i ever heard of such a thing as hanging up goods by the yard on the walls with brass-headed tacks <laughs> but this ere blue and white stripe certainly does look pretty with madeline's white furniture and the red's real cheerful in your pa's room but i got to go now and get ma's supper before she gets fractious cher miss malvina said the girl one thousand times we are obliged but you will permit you will not be offended she glanced appealingly at her father we wish with our thanks to also make the reward suitable said m desaye with a propitiatory smile you will permit is it not he produced from his waistcoat pocket a small white envelope which he handed to miss malvina with a courteous bow she opened it to find within a neatly folded banknote. Just why Miss Malvina should have experienced a shock of bitter resentment at the sight of money so hardly earned and so sorely needed furnishes a psychological problem of considerable interest. She was in the habit of earning money by the labour of her hands. Then why not this money? Was there, one might inquire, any real difference between plying the needle and the scrubbing brush? that there was a difference wide and deep was evidenced by miss malvina's unpremeditated behaviour on this occasion sakes alive she cried her small figure quite rigid with indignation the simple idea of trying to pay me for what i'd done like i was louisa wessels and mrs jabez trimble i come over to do for you folks friendly because you was neighbours and because something very like a sob choked further utterance but miss malvina managed clearly to convey her utter repudiation of the idea of recompense by casting the envelope and its contents at the feet of the man who had offered it i have you to understand i don't go out by the day except to sew and only then to accommodate my regular customers she went on a bright colour staining her faded cheeks if i want to do a kindness for folks i guess i can do it without being slapped in the face and me a member in good and regular standin the innocent offenders stood stupefied aghast the girl began a hurried search through her phrase-book while the man rumpled his hair which was somewhat long and curling and frosted lightly with silver with a gesture of despair Alas, he murmured i am inconsolable too little too much or oh, not at all i ask you but why why would you derange yourself for us not of your country miss malvina's wrath suddenly vanished into thin air that's so she chuckled a body ought to keep in mind constant you can't help being foreign as far as being deranged insanity don't run in our family so you needn't be scared i get mad quick but it don't last no time 
I see you don't know better, so we'll call it square. We call it square? But what is square, dear Miss Malvina? entreated Madeleine. It is of a friendly, n'est-ce pas? Oh, good land, yes, laughed the little dressmaker, her dignified complacency quite restored. Oh, you're enough to kill corn, the two of you, but I guess you mean all right. In the chill dusk of the April evening, while ashes of violet and rose still mingled in the west, Miss Malvina sped like a shadow under the budding elms. In a flat parcel under her arm was the brown and purple robe, substantially stitched and conscientiously finished. Mrs. Hobbs, still environed with the as-yet-inchoate creations of her genius, welcomed her with unaffected emotion. "'I've put in a terrible day,' she confessed. "'What with ladies telephoning and coming in droves to talk over styles. "'You say this is all finished? "'Well, I'll look it over as soon as I get a chance, "'and let your friend know if she's to send for more.' "'But Miss Malvina stiffened her spine, "'in a valiant effort not to notice the heaps of silk and lengths of trimming "'which littered the chairs and tables.' "'You'll look it over and pay for it now, right down in my hand, same as you promised,' she said firmly. "'I don't know as anybody could say much for the looks of that there robe of Mrs. Dickness Buckthorn's, but won't fall to pieces first time she puts it on, and the plackets won't bust out neither. And it be evened up around the bottom. Why, sakes alive, Miss Hobbs, that hem was three inches wide in the front of the skirt and two and a quarter in the back, and the hooks and eyes on the waist didn't no more jibe than anything. I could have done better than that at dressmaking when I was ten years old. Mrs. Hobbs chafed her reddened nose with a breadth of cambric. I hope you haven't spoiled the hang of the skirt, she said fretfully. Spoiled? Me spoiled? echoed Miss Malvina indignantly. Then she took refuge in a fit of coughing. "'Of course I know who you are,' pursued Mrs. Hobbs. "'I asked Mrs. Salter today, and she told me.' "'I ain't ashamed to be knowed,' stated Miss Malvina. "'I came up here in the first place, like the children of Israel went in the promised land, to see what sort of a shop you kept, and whether you was going to freeze me out permanent.' And the minute I laid eyes on this ere robe, I quit worrying. What do you mean? inquired Mrs. Hobbs feebly. Just what I say. I ain't a worried a mite. Twon't be no time before they'll all be back a pesterin' me for some real sewing. These ere throw together robes ain't a going to take in this ere town, I know. I've sewed for em off and on for thirty years. "'I wonder you dare talk to me like that,' almost whimpered Mrs. Hobbs, with a vain effort after dignity. "'All my clientele admire my superior taste.' Miss Bennet gazed at her rival pityingly. "'I'm real sorry for you,' she said. "'Honest I be.' "'Sorry for me? Why, my good woman! I know. I'll tell you why.' You can't hold this here trade with the kind of work you're doing. It'll peter out on you in no time. 
Mrs. Hobbs fingered her frizzes with an assumption of ease she was far from feeling. "'I never heard of such a thing as a person like you,' she stammered. "'It's the most extraordinary idea.' "'Well, I'll tell you, Miss Hobbs, I got kind of desperate. What with losing all my customers and the rent and groceries running behind, I got Ma Bennett to do for. Ma's going on seventy-nine. She come to live with me last winter after my brother died. She ain't got nobody but me now. And thinks I, oh, I got to do something right off. You'd laugh if I was to tell you how scared I was to come up them stairs the first time. If you'd have been a roaring rhinoceros, I couldn't have felt more shrinking. <laughs> Mrs. Hobbs moved restlessly in her chair. Oh, you can go on right on sewing. Don't mind me, said Miss Bennett kindly. I'd really like to see how your superior taste will work out on that there green costume, the one on the figure. But as I was saying, I just took the bit in my teeth and tromped on all my most sacred feelings. Now I see you ain't no better off than I be, for all your guilt sign and your madam and your heaps of work. I ain't got enough work and you got too much. If I whirl in and help you out, same as we talked last night, me a-doing real honest sewing like folks round here are used to, you may last out quite a spell. If you don't, well... Miss Bennett's eloquent hands disclaimed all further responsibility for Mrs. Hobbs' career. You certainly have got nerve, murmured the new dressmaker, but she said it almost admiringly. So have you, returned Miss Bennett promptly, or you wouldn't be here. The two women stared at each other fixedly for an instant, and then Mrs. Hobbs' watery gaze fell. "'You want I should pay you for this?' she inquired uncertainly. "'Mm-hmm. And give me some more work. I got to live while I'm waiting.' This ominous reference to the future appeared to galvanise Madame Louise into action. She arose and fetched a plethoric purse. "'How much do I owe you?' she hesitated. "'I mean, how long? We agreed by the day, didn't we?' I put in five hours steady, stated Miss Malvina. So it comes to a dollar and a half, even money. That robe's all ready to send home, as much as it ever will be this side of Jordan. Oh, it'll be real enjoyable to see Mrs. Buckthorn come sailing down the center aisle with it on. <laughs> the clash of the three silver half dollars was music in Miss Malvina's ears as she sped homeward, clasping a great parcel of work in her thin little arms. "'Ain't I glad I stepped on my pride and roused my grit and gumption,' she said to herself. "'Twon't be no time before I can hold up me head with the best of em, and all my bills paid and money laid by. And if that ain't a lot better than sitting around crying over spilt milk, my name ain't Malvina Bennett.' End of chapter 7